coming up later in the episode. They have small business. It's like jumping off of a cliff and building the plane on your way down. Jumping right into things and learning as you go. But I can say that the community around us here where we are located locally and then just overall the the community just for small businesses and businesses of color there's so many resources out there right now that are really helping businesses of color get started and so that's been just tremendous and helping us this is still talking black a show about giving perspectives to issues that minorities face every day i'm your host richard dives storytelling is one of the oldest and most effective forms of communication It can be used to entertain, educate, and inform. Good storytelling can even help people understand complex ideas, and it can also help them see the world from a different perspective that they may not have seen otherwise. Storytelling can help people to learn about other cultures and can also help promote understanding and tolerance. With the advent of technology, our huge world has gotten smaller. We can now share our voices with people all over the world that we may not have had access to otherwise. That's why it's more important than ever to have diverse voices in the storytelling arena. It is incredibly important for us as Black people to not only share our stories, but to also share stories from our perspectives. There are so many stories about our history and our accomplishments that need to be shared amongst the community and with the rest of the world. We have to do everything we can to make sure that we don't lose our history and that our stories are properly told from the perspective of the people who have lived them. While preserving our history, We can't forget the impact that fiction stories have on our community. It is important, even in fiction stories, that we are represented in a way where we aren't stereotyped or only portrayed in a way that reinforces negative perceptions that some members of society may have towards us. We have to make sure that the characters that look like us are portrayed with the complexities that are authentically us. Creators like Issa Rae do such a good job of capturing the nuances that make up the many sides of the Black community. Those nuances are something that someone outside of the community may have trouble capturing. I find that I always relate better to stories that have characters that look, sound, and act like me. If you close your eyes and listen to a story, most people imagine that the characters in those stories look like them. One of my favorite forms of storytelling is video games. Video games give you a level of interactivity that other forms of media can't come close to. Many of the games that I've played over the years contain characters that look nothing like me. But now, as technology and inclusion in the industry has progressed, we can create custom characters in many of the most popular games that further emerge us into the experience. They don't always have the hair that looks just like mine, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. In today's episode, I talked to Christina and Eddie Sledge of Sledge House Media. They not only created a media company from the ground up, but did it in the middle of a pandemic. Now they are sharing their fiction and nonfiction stories in book form, and one day plan to expand to other forms of media such as feature films. If you like what we're doing here on Still Talking Black, the best way to show your support is by liking, rating, and sharing our content. Buying merch at our store at stilltalkingblack.com forward slash shop or donating using the link in the show description. Every little bit helps. Thank you for your continued support. My name is Christina Sledge, and I'm here with my husband, Edward Sledge, and our company is Sledgehouse Media. How did you two meet? Oh, that's a great story. Well, we met in high school. We were freshmen. Yeah, in our first week, during our first week. A freshman year, 14 years old. Right. Oh, wow. Yes. We we were in the lunchroom in the cafeteria. And actually, Eddie was trying to meet another young lady that was sitting at the table at the time. (laughs) And it was okay, though, because I was with someone else. Mm. And so, you know, just kind of noticing him there. And turns out the young lady did not like him. And so, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She she never told me that. So for like the first week, I had a class with her and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm chasing her. But come to find out she never liked me. Well, I didn't know that to the end, Um, you know, not the end, but until Christina told me. So me and my friend used to walk her, her friend and the girl to the train station every day. Uh, So because her and Christina and her friend were just extras to the girl I was trying to talk to yeah 
And one day she didn't come to schools. You know, me and my friend still walk Christina and our friend Tiffany to the train station. I mean, our friend came up, asked me, said, hey, uh, my friend Christina want to go out with you. Hmm. And I asked her, I said, um, so why she didn't come ask me herself? And she said, she's shy. And I'm like, she's shy. I'm like, this ain't good. So um, <laughs> I said, okay, yeah, I, I'll go out with her. And um, I, 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 I've been chasing her ever since. Yeah. So also the young lady gave me the okay because she said, oh, you know, I don't like him. So it's fine. You know, if you like him, then go, go for it. You know, so we just had like a little matchmaker and then, yeah, we were together for, I want to say a couple years. Yeah. Like on two and years. Off. And then yeah. we broke up and uh, went our separate ways. She went to college and then I went to um, the army. Hmm. And we got back together later. Yeah. Oh, thank you for your service. Thank you. Appreciate it. So how long have you two been married? 22 years. Um, as of next week. Hey, happy early anniversary, you two. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> so what made you two want to start a business? Well, it started with our first book, The Story of Christina and I, which is a memoir about our about our love story, actually. And it's a pretty unique story because we really... See, when the reader reads the book, they'll see that we were, we had like these connection points early on, even before we met each other, mm-hmm. you could see that there were so many times we actually missed opportunities to meet each other. Uh, and so as we learned that we like, Oh my goodness, we're predestined for each other. We're even born, <laughs> even born in the same hospital, you know, four months apart. Wow. Uh, his grandmother, my grandmother worked at the hospital. So his, did my father. Yeah. His father worked there as well. Uh, we had family members that lived within hundreds of feet of each other. Yeah. Even know it, yeah. Yeah. So after we got married and we talked about it, yeah. Yes. And then I found out his godfather literally lived across the street from me for several years, decades. And she used to talk to him. Her family used to talk to him and say hi to him and everything. Yeah. That's amazing. Like how many yeah. how many intersections you have with a person and not know that that's your person. Yeah. That's your person, right? <laughs> yeah. And so we just thought it was a great story. And then you also see in the book, there's a dichotomy between our upbringings. Like mm-hmm. we, we really had very different upbringings. I come from like a Caribbean background with, you know, living in a multi-generational house with, you know, bootstrappers on both sides of my family that, you know, came here as immigrants, came to the country as immigrants, and then they started businesses and, you know, that sort of thing. So we kind of had that level of community. And whereas Eddie's family had a little bit more, I guess, it was any city blues, you know. Yeah. Growing up poor, um, grew up with all men in my family. My mother died when I was young. My stepmother died when I was 14. It's it just when everything I thought was just regular for me. When you sit back and write about it and talk about it, it really wasn't. But that's just the way of life there was. So, you know, living in the projects, being poor, just different from what our family was hard work and stuff like that, too. So, um, and, and we really didn't put this together until after... We started talking about, well, let's write this book. Mm. So it all it all kind of started with the book. And after the book, what kind of made you you two decide that, hey, this should we should make a whole media company? So the book prompted us to decide that we definitely wanted to self-publish. Mm-hmm. So we started out as a publishing company and then we realized we had so much more content that we then wanted to turn it into screenplays, Mm -hmm. then potentially movies and also um, TV shows or series. And so it just made sense to have a full-fledged media company where we would be involved with development of producing as well as publishing. Um, And then also have the ability to do other types of projects like digital and audio type projects as well. So that it just made more sense to go that route and and create a media company. I see, I see a lot of uh, parallels between what you are doing and what I am doing on my end. I'm just doing it with podcasts, but it's all media. I think that media is really important, especially for the black community, because a lot of times we are, underrepresented and sometimes when we are represented we're not represented well 
So I think it's important for us to be able to control and tell and retell some of our stories because storytelling is the basis of human society. So being able to tell a story and being able to show people that black people can be more than sports figures or headlines or rappers or, you know, just this limited amount of things, we can pretty much be whatever we put our minds to. And we've helped build a whole civilization. And uh, sometimes I think that gets forgotten and we don't necessarily talk about it enough. So I'm really happy because whenever someone is telling a story, they usually tell a story in a way that it identifies to them. And if you have people who don't identify to you telling stories in ways they identify to them, then you're just left out of the story a lot of times. Absolutely. We, we 100 percent agree. And that that's one of our, you know, our mission is to tell and share the stories of the average person. You know, one a big part of that is really empathy and having the ability to walk in someone else's shoes. And so that was another reason why we really wanted to be able to share those type of stories that you don't always hear about. So even if it's fiction or nonfiction, we, uh, uh, our goal is to put you right in that, that person, right between, right behind his eyes, their eyes, and then you see what we see as we're writing or we telling a story or explaining someone's story when we get to that point. Is there any other reason aside from just the book that made you want to do media or is there some other reason behind that too? Well, we have been avid readers. Oh my goodness. Our whole lives pretty much. Well, Eddie has a really good story about how he became really a reader. Um, But we also just love movies. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been avid moviegoers to the point where we, you know, we've researched actors and, kind of see what other projects they were in. And that's, and this is before we started a media company, yeah. not even thinking about it, but we also have backgrounds separately that kind of led us down this path without us really even planning this out, but it just kind of the, everything lined up where it's, I've always had like this project management, you know, event producer background. So it made sense for me to kind of fall in line or align with producing and publishing Whereas Eddie has always been a storyteller, be it from, you know, he has a background in history, he's a historian. And then at the same time, he also has always wrote about, you know, history and having that that background to tell a story. So he's always been a storyteller and he's always interested in socioeconomic issues as well as, what would you say? To talk to me is like you're gonna get honest. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like I don't mind telling people my story or anything like that or uh, what what they need to know, what they need to ask. So I'm I'm a, I'm a free person that, and I hear people's stories. I like I read biographies and I get excited because everyone in life is so different. Just when you think you had a good or when you had a bad, someone else's story comes along. You're like, wow, like you know, this this is interesting. So I like to hear people's stories. I like to talk to people. Um, I think everything is interesting and. That's why in our company, uh, I'm the head writer and and she's a director, she, well, world direct. And, um, you know, she runs the show because um, that's her background, IT, project management and everything like that. But what really got me into um, writing uh, when I was in grad school, before I went to grad school, I was in the Army. Mm-hmm. And right before I was getting out, I was doing this this thing we call staff duty, where you stay on the desk, answer phones and clean up the um, one of the main areas for 24 hours. And when I was on there, uh, my, my mind wasn't always right. You know, it was still a street mentality, even though I was in a military. But, you know, I, I wasn't focused on school or anything like that. I never mm-hmm. was. And uh, one night during, and I, I'm, I'm a big Yankee fan. I'm, I'm, I'm a New York <laughs> sports fan. If you can't so, tell by that accent, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when the, one night when the Yankees was playing the World Series against the Diamondbacks, I think it was a Derrick Jeter game going into that midnight. Uh, my, my sergeant told me, hey, we'll just go in the back and take a nap, you know, take a break. And when I was back there, I was watching TV. But for some reason, um, I, I, I turned from the World Series game. For some huh. reason, I just turned from it, right? So I turned from it and I kept flipping channels and I stopped at um that Posey Jam, which was on HBO at the oh, time. Oh yeah, yeah. And on it was Nikki Giovanni, Dr. Nikki Giovanni. And when she was on stage talking, to this day, I cannot tell you exactly what she said. I don't remember, but I just turned like my like my mind, the switch came on and I was mesmerized. Hmm. 
And as soon as she walked off stage, I called my wife. I called Chris and I said, hey, look, um, I'm going to the library tomorrow. And she was like, you're going to the library? For what? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going to go read. I want to know this history. I want to know the you know African-American history. I, I want to know coaches and everything. Well, that's the reason why that's important is because he would not read a book. Yeah, <laughs> And that shocked me. I'm like, uh, I would always try to get him to go to the library with me. I, you know, I'm an avid reader. Even in high school. Yeah. yeah. I, I was never that person. And so when he said that, that was just shocking. You yeah. want to go to the library? Okay. That, that one second <laughs> changed my life. So fast forward 15 years later, I'm in grad school and Dr. Nisa Giovanni comes to my school. Oh, wow. We do a book signing. So I go to, I stay in Orlando, go see her, and I'm like, hey, um, you don't know, but you changed my life. So, you know, she gives, you know, and she, it wasn't like she was mean, but she gave me the, okay, young man, I appreciate it, but <laughs> come on, take the picture. I signed a book. I got a long line. So, you know, it's busy, no problem. So, you know, I got the, I got a picture with and everything, autographed book. Fast forward to last year, she comes to Bus Bowls and Poets at um, where we live at Columbia. Mm-hmm. In Maryland. Now she had another book signed, but now we already got a book. Now in our book, I talk about this this one specific time where I changed my where changed my life. Mm-hmm. Watching on TV. So her name was in the book and everything. So um I go me and my wife go up to her and tell her, you know, the book. I show her the book and I show her her name was in the book. And you know, the part in the book where I talk about her, she was just flawed. And um it, it's crazy because the woman that changed my life, I'm actually switching autographed books with her. Oh wow! So she gave me a signed book of hers, and I, we gave her a signed book of ours. That's amazing. At that moment, so it was like a full circle, full circle moment. Yeah, I know that. That's an amazing story. You're right. That that's incredible. That and she she don't even know. I mean, she know now, but at the time she didn't know she changed my life. So um, you know, it's crazy. I think that's one of the, going back to media. That's one of the most beautiful things about media is that you don't know who's going to hear what you have to say. You don't know who's going to read what you write. But you could be planting seeds that that grow trees that that bear fruit. It's amazing. You can touch one one person's life, and that person can go on and touch many people's lives. It's it's something that that's an incredible story. It really is. So, how has the pandemic affected your business? I know you you guys you started right in the middle of the pandemic. So, how has it affected? Has it been beneficial? Has it been uh, a source of problems like how has it affected your business actually it didn't affect us too much because we like you said we started in the middle of it the good thing about books is we can you know sell books through pretty much you know anything (laughs) and selling those you know especially on the internet is you know pretty prevalent now you don't have to go to a brick and mortar store as much anymore the only big impact would be for us doing face to face events in person so that is the only um drawback right now we haven't had an opportunity to do as many of those as we would have liked mm-hmm. so far but um we just kept moving you know the really good thing about the pandemic right now at least uh, the ability for us to reach out to each other virtually and still have our connections. I think that was one of the things that we definitely saw as an opportunity to still continue doing things. Like we have a book club that's virtual and we're still able to connect with readers and to others that are interested in connecting with us. So we definitely have been fortunate that we have the technological abilities to still connect with folks. Aside from that, like the actual physical barrier and business, you know, anytime you start any kind of business, it's always going to be obstacles in your way. What what have been some of the obstacles that you've been able to overcome so far? Well, I think the biggest one for us has been just a learning curve of, you know, starting a business for the first time, mm-hmm. um, just learning everything. You know, it's kind of like when you start a a business, they always say a small business, it's like jumping off of a cliff and building the plane on your way down. <laughs> so we can attest to that. It definitely is, <laughs> you know, you're kind of jumping um, right into things and learning as you go. But I can say that the community around us here where we are located locally and then just 
overall, the, the community, just for small businesses and businesses of color. There's so many resources out there right now that are really helping businesses of color get started. And so that's been just tremendous in helping us. But I think it was definitely the learning curve and especially the marketing, marketing. piece. Marketing is a challenge <laughs> when, you, when you have a, a book, you know, our yeah. books, it's not so easy as an independent mm-hmm. to get, get the word out there. So that's something that we're still working on. We do have connections with some folks in the Small Business Administration that are helping us with that, as well as we partnered with Trinity University here in D- D.C. They have entrepreneurship course that actually featured our small business as their case study. Case study. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> and that was to help us with a marketing strategy. So that was really interesting and, 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 and cool to work with the students on that. So it is crazy because you have this great product, but you have to market it the best way you can. Mm-hmm. And even before technology, what it is now, you know, it, it had to be like crazy hard for the person before us. So now is is you think it would be easier, but you know you have so many not really too many obstacles, but then you also have the obstacles of having someone have the time to read the book. You mm-hmm. know, um, you know, so many people was so much so busy in life. You know, they don't have time to sit down and read your book at the time where you know you hope to get feedback at the same time. So uh, we've been blessed and fortunate that people do read the book and they come up and give us great feedback. But uh, marketing and Getting it out there as independent, you know, and we gotta, you know, it makes me think of Master P how he did it, and so many people before him and after, like just keep hustling, keep grinding, and keep making hits, and sooner or later it's gonna fall in the right hands, and you know, they gonna say, hey, let want to help you. Whenever I hear that, it always reminds me of hearing Damon John talk about when he started Fubu. He's like, when yeah. I started Fubu, he's like, I was out on the corner. For, you know, like eight hours, 12 hours selling hats and stuff like that. He's like, nah, y'all can go online and start a store. It's completely different. And I, I, it's beautiful that the technology has changed enough for us to be able to reach people without having to have the same kind of obstacles as you did before. And I definitely understand the marketing point. You can make the greatest thing in the world, but if no one hears it or no one reads it or no one sees it, then it's just a great thing that only you know about. So mm-hmm. it's definitely tough. I, I, de- I have a marketing background, so I definitely understand how that stuff works. So right now, is it only YouTube writing and publishing or do you have anybody else that you've signed to your to your company so far? Right now, it's only us. We are the the primary authors for our, our projects. Um, but eventually, as we grow, we would like to take on more authors and, and help them with publishing there. Yeah, we want to make sure well. we get our, our feet on the ground and start running. Then we can just put people on our back and keep going. That's, that's a smart way to do it. So five years from now, where do you see yourselves? Uh, directing movies. Way before that, directing movies, um, still writing screenplays. Yeah, I definitely see us publishing books. Right now we have, oh my goodness, 19 books in our pipeline over wow. the next four years. So we, we definitely have the content. Uh, that's not, we're not short there. We have a short film that we produced that came out this, this year in January. It's about the pandemic, actually, just really paying homage to those businesses here in Maryland that were impacted. And so that's really what the short film is about, just looking at how when a business closed down, how it impacts the community and the folks that patronize those businesses and so that's what that one's about and then we have another one coming out later this year as well so we we definitely have more short films to produce as well as hopefully a feature length over the five-year period and um, we'll just continue publishing our books and she's a student in um, NYU film Mm -hmm. so you know she she we have to (laughs) put stuff together and make it happen. So, you know, one day you're going to look up and see that logo on your screen, be like, oh man, I interviewed him. (laughs) Slash House Media logo. We, um, yeah, there's there's no stopping us. I always say, as long as me and her together, then um, we we can do anything. We can do anything. Yeah, we started with 50 cents. Yeah, yeah. soon we got married, we jumped in my car, which was like a 
It's got over 180,000 miles on it. It was like a 90, 91 Chrysler. You know, I dug in my pockets. We literally had two quarters in our hands. Like, mm. wow, this is all we have. And I called my father. I took one of the quarters to call my father on the payphone. Payphone. Western Union. Yeah, <laughs> Western Union us um, $50. And uh, we took it from there. But as soon as we said I do, literally, we had 50 cents, two quarters in our pocket. I mean. So we figured if we can make it through that, then, you know, we can make it through anything. So that is you know, a testament to the resilience that we've learned over the years, especially as a military family as well. So, yeah, we're just ready to tackle anything that comes our way. Thinking about how society is, it sounds like, from what you said previously, sounds like being Black has actually been an advantage because it gave you access to resources that you might not have had access to. So do you feel like there have been any additional obstacles being Black, or do you feel like being Black has actually helped you get to where you want to go? I think right now, at least everything that we've experienced thus far, this this has been like, you can almost say like a huge renaissance and, you know, for creatives, which, you know, we're in that space. And then also the advantages of being a small business, a uh, woman, uh, partly woman. And, and a veteran. And also veteran. Disabled veteran. Disabled yeah. veteran business. So, those things have also given us access right now. So I think it's it has been advantage so far, at least for so us. So far, yeah. I know from a publicity standpoint, we worked with one PR firm and it they just didn't understand us. Mm. So I think not having that understanding of what it is or who we are, mm-hmm. I don't think they knew how to represent us. So that was the only, I think, challenge from, I think, you know, a race perspective that we've encountered so far. And then you lose money on that too. So, you know, they, they have one way to show it. We have another way, but, um, you know, you live and you learn, you know, like, you know, we, we, we jump, we in the air trying to build a plane. Okay. So, you know, we're not going to crash and burn, but you know, we're going to be in the air for a long time. But when you're in the air, you, you live and you learn. It's like an additional course that black entrepreneurs have to learn, especially when it comes to marketing, just because the people that are going to be interested in our media is so different from normal people. So it's like you can follow regular influencers and do your social media this way and do this and this and that, and it'll get you here. But truth be told, if we're trying to reach a select audience, our audience is usually not going to be generally for everybody. It's not, I'm not discrediting like all white people, but a lot of times white people are not going to want to see some of the stuff that we're talking about. You know, the podcast still talking black. Most white people are not going to want to listen to that. I mean, I know there are some allies out there that like to listen, but you know, for the most part, white is not the demographic. So you're kind of limited. And a lot of times the people that the the platforms that you can use, it's not always filled with us. So you, you, we're spending the same amount of money for reaching a different amount of people just because it's less of us on those platforms. So right. and that's the best thing about our books too. The books that we have lined up is this not, this is, is all race based, but not, you know, not racial. So anyone can books coming up, anyone can read it. Anyone can understand it, identify, identify it, yeah. you know, so it's just not just one, one way that we look at Yeah. We, go to a whole range of what we want to do. Right. So that definitely helps too. I know Issa Rae Insecure, her season, her her uh, series is wrapped up. And one of the things I appreciated most about her series was that it wasn't necessarily a black TV show. It was produced and, you know, written by black people for the majority of it anyway. But it was a TV show and it was black people and it's a difference between having a, a a TV show with black people and a black TV show. It, it showed that it's not a genre. Black TV is not a genre. We can do anything that we want and still be black TV. But it doesn't have to be like, oh, over the top. It doesn't have to be soul playing. It doesn't have to be shaft. We can do any kind of genre. And that was the most beautiful thing about seeing Issa Rae do what she did over the last, what was it, five or six years that she did it. it it's just a beautiful thing to watch, and I really appreciate that for the culture. Absolutely. And, and, when, and when you yourself, and when you yourself, it, it flows better, too. You know, you have a great feeling about it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that that's part of what we're doing, too, is, you know, showing that there are, we're multifaceted, you know, we're not, not just one way, and 
that's all we can do. You know, we, you know, I'm, I'm big on uh, cooking and, you know, entertaining and that sort of thing. So, you know, I have that as a background as well that I bring to the table. So, you know, that's something that um, we, we try to make sure that we're showing all facets of people, of us, of our characters, um, you know, that they're multi-layered. And so you get that um, from her as a reader. And I think the biggest, the readers that have given us the most feedback are non, you know, non-Black, really. We've had some folks that really connected with our book, our memoir, our memoir yeah. just, just from a human, you know, perspective, like, wow, I, I really feel what you went through, you know? And so that was, that was interesting because we, we weren't expecting that reaction, but it was great to just see as human beings, we can just connect. It's great to give people that are not black, especially representation that doesn't look like what they are used to seeing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so many times the the news represents us a particular way. And as many people that are as many as diverse as the places I grew up and been in have been, the rest of the United States and the rest of the world is not built the same way. So sometimes the only experience that some people have with black people are from television, from from TV shows or from the news media. And I, I think that is another reason why it's just so important for us to be able to control that story and show that we're not just victims. We're not mm-hmm. we're not just thugs. We're not just ball players. We are everything under the rainbow and so much more. Absolutely. In my in our book, I also talk about just being, you know, honor student, you know, just growing up being that nerd, you know, it's okay to just get A's in school and, you know, answer the questions all the time and study and, <laughs> and on my you side, <laughs> you see on my side, you see it wasn't cool to even portray that you were smart or educated back then. Cause you know, I, I was in the streets and you know, you get teased upon for it. So it's like, you got to act like um, you're not smart. So th- this book really came about when, you know, even after we married, we was just talking about the differences in our lives. And, you know, we both from Brooklyn and we both from rough neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, she was telling me that in our house, she had a playroom, right? Her brothers had a playroom, like just for toys. And I'm like, nah, you can't have that. You know, now in Brooklyn, and um, coming to find out, you know, her family, you know, they say, yeah, we had it all the time and stuff. So it's crazy because we live in two rough neighborhoods, but I'm not thinking that side lives like that. And the only side I saw live like that was, you know, the Cosby show, where you'd be like, all right, well, they live somewhere and all the family like that. Because my father and his friends didn't embrace that. Mm-hmm. They, I always heard that that's not true, that, you know, stuff like that doesn't happen in, in Brooklyn or uh, with, with black families. Hossa, you know, at the same time is saying that you could do whatever you want. You could be wherever you want to be as long as you try hard. My side wasn't doing that. They was like, you're never going to be president, even though they never said it. But that's what I understood. So you see in the book, both both eyes at the same time, like, wow, you know, one person, me thinking that, you know, that life is like my life is like anyone else's life around that time in Brooklyn, especially if you're black. And um, her life was much different. You know? Right. Yeah, I had, you know, I had mentors, I had positive role models, um, you know, that really gave us that motivation to, you know, go to school, do well in school. You know, we had a Caribbean background, so we had, you know, these cotillions we would go to. My my family had a, a property in the Hamptons. Um so I had a very we grew up in the same place. Yeah. But we just had exposure my exposure was different. So to just, that's why people say, how did you guys even get together? How did this even happen? (laughs) But I think it also just shows that those things are there. It may be a part of your life, but it doesn't define who you are. You know, it just helps you kind of have, you know, we had different, you had some privileges and that sort of thing, but we still, as human beings, we still connected on that and, level. And it's okay for you to have these privileges or don't have these privileges. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You know, it, it, it doesn't make you less of a person. And, and then, you know, growing up, uh, I saw that a lot, you know, around drugs and stuff like that. And, you know, people like like Christina and her family would be shot upon against my family because they didn't think that was true or real. So, yeah, but it's okay. You know, it's okay, it's okay to have these, these this 
this life, you know, and this is what we teach our daughters. You know, we we don't want our daughters to grow up the way we grew up, especially in, in, in these bad neighborhoods, you know, the hood where I grew up. So yeah. we teach them it's okay to have these things, you know, we fortunate. But you even know? in the neighborhoods, there are bright spots. Yeah, there are. Where we learn about our culture, you mm-hmm. know, and then just really embracing the various multicultural environment you know, that we had with, you know, people of all backgrounds. And I think that was definitely a plus living in Brooklyn. Just yeah. every day you're exposed to different cultures, different people, just to just learn on an average day how diverse, how diversity can be a positive thing. Yeah. So I know you two just recently celebrated one year of having your company. What is the biggest celebration that you've had thus far? Oh, man, we have so many bright spots from last year, but I want to say we had a bestseller in Amazon. Uh, we wrote a book about marriage, actually, an essay. And the first day, it was number one. Hey. It was number one. So that was huge. Yeah, we held that spot for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so many, but having two books at the same time at a book signing Balls and Noble. Mm. That that was that, the class. It's, it's so many classes. Dr. Nick Giovanni. It's so many that we had, but... It's crazy when people hear this, you know, um, it's like you put your mind to it. You try your, your you try your best. You can make it happen. The year before that, we was as we was in Boston Noble and we was like, one day our book will be right here. And then a year and some change later, our book was right there. Mm. And it's just sheer determination. And I know it sounds cliche, but hard work. Like we just grind and, you know, we learn. We were learning all the time. Learn all the time. And just learning from other people. Mm-hmm. learning from just reading and educating ourselves on the industry and the processes that we have to go through. So I just, I think we're just proud of just the strides that we made over that year. Yeah. Yeah. What have the dynamics been of you two are obviously married. We covered that already. How has it been being a married couple running a business together? <laughs> uh, it, it's great. But I, so my philosophy is marriage is a beautiful headache. <laughs> it's always beautiful, but at times it's a headache. So we, we have our great times. And then we have times where, you know, especially in our book, where she goes, uh, you got to get rid of this part. Uh, so and, he and, writes, so he writes, he writes yeah. the majority of like our fiction books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's the head writer. And so after he writes his first draft, you know, I read it. And so I have to give him feedback. And so when he does that in the beginning, I wasn't sensitive to his art. Yeah. Mm. So you, you start to see this before that, before <laughs> I became an author, you know, a writer, I'm just like, all right, well, this is just, you know, there's nothing. But I think nonfiction was easier because yeah. it was fact, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we, we get to the parts where sometimes I agree. Yeah. I don't need that part. And then sometimes we, we argue into the death. No, it's going to stay in there. And then we, she tweaks it. So we, we, we agree. We agree. But the best thing about our marriage is that um, it's 5149. And uh, she's 51. I'm 49. Cause if she's not happy, then I can't get any sleep. <laughs> so, um, so once you accept your role and, and you embrace your role, it gets easier. Yeah. We, we also had to define our roles in yeah. the business. You know, we had to, respect each other's strengths and understand where we needed help Mm -hmm. to support each other. We, we really, we created a Venn diagram, which is, you know, like the two circles where they connect. And so it was actually Eddie's idea. And he was like, we need this Venn diagram. We have to create this to see, you know, the things that we're primarily responsible for on each side and then where we connect. And so we did that. And that really helped us define each other's roles and then where we needed to support each other. So that was that was very important and helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you guys have been navigating being married and being business partners in the same time. It it sounds like it's just an interesting dynamic because, you know, you can't like business like marriage is a business, too. (laughs) It is. (laughs) So it's like you two are running two two businesses together and each of you have different roles in each business. Right. It's beautiful when you're able to find that balance. It doesn't sound like it's caused too much strain on your marriage at all. No, No, I think because we learned our strengths 
we really yeah, see, I think because we identified we, them. We, we we knew that before we even thought about running the business. So even without a business, we was already comfortable in our own skin while being married. We knew the do's and don'ts and stuff that makes us smile together and, and cry together, stuff like that. So we knew that already. So when we started the business, we just kept it going the same way. So it, it didn't interfere with our marriage. It just gave us more um, togetherness. Yeah, more I, I would say that. Yeah. Yeah. But now it, yeah. it, it could have been different if we would have started a business, then got married or mm. just got married. Like if we would have did this. 20 what, years ago? 20 years ago. It, it never worked. <laughs> no. It never no, worked. No, so no. Uh, it came at the right place at the right time. And it, it, it was a time where we like, why not us? You know, we, we got stories to say. We we, we we could do this. So um, it came at the right time. And, and it, it didn't interfere with our marriage. You know, we, yeah. we, we still hug, kiss, make love. We still do what we have to do. So we, we have. We're a happy married couple. Yeah. And I think, I think if anything, like Eddie said, it kind of brought us more together and we started to really see that we could build upon what we already created. And so this is just another outlet for us to, I think it's really beautiful because it helps us tap into this creative side of both of us that we didn't always, we were pretty much all very analytical and um, not necessarily on the creative side. And so, cause I have an IT background and then I went into event management. So doing more of that producing. So I started tapping into that event side and the creative side. And then Eddie always had like the historical side and sociology, that sort of thing. But this having this whole creative outlet, I think just gave us a new, um, way of looking at life and just exploring things that we probably wouldn't have in the past. And, and plus, we we always been supportive of each other. So if I have to take the back seat while she drive, let's go. If if she have to do it, let's go. So we we not egos. Uh, no, our no. egos don't get in the way, and we start like you know throwing things around each other because my ego goes first, something like that. So we was like that before we started this company. It, it is it just continued. Yes. So that was great too. You know, the, the the values that we had already in play in our marriage just continued mm-hmm. in our um, trickled down. Yeah, into um, our, our company. So I got three questions for you. I'm gonna give them all to you at the same time, and you can answer them all at once, or you can answer them individually. But what advice would you give other entrepreneurs, black entrepreneurs? What advice would you give married couples? And what advice would you give? married couples thinking about going into business together. All right. So I guess we you start. take one, I take two, and we take three together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, I, I give you long answers. So. Yeah. So um, I would say, okay, let's start with the question when we give entre- new entrepreneurs. New entrepreneurs. Specifically def- black entrepreneurs. Black <laughs> entrepreneurs. Yeah. I would definitely say learn your craft. You know, learn whatever it is that you want to be the best at, whatever it is that you're trying to enter, whatever industry that is, learn as much as you can about it. Um, You know, immerse yourself in it so that you can, you know, have that expertise and that foundation to help you in your path into this new arena. That's so key. I think it really helps with also helping you define your business. So you have a better idea of, what it is you're getting into, right? So you want to make sure you have that solid foundation. I, I know a few entrepreneurs that they had a great idea, but they didn't have the opportunity to fully learn everything that they should have. And, and that's okay. Like I said, you're learning as you go. So I would say also have that grace with yourself that you're not going to know everything and that you don't know everything <laughs> and you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> that's always going to be something that you learn along the way, because we can have strengths and, you know, different parts of managing a business, but then there's other parts where we need to outsource and we need to get help and that's okay too. And that's the other thing. Try not to do everything yourself. You're going to need, you know, help legal accounting, you know, all of that, those outsource capabilities. I mean, unless you're good at that, if you're Mm -hmm. good at that, then you might need help in other areas. So just being honest with yourself and knowing that you may not know anything and it's okay to get help. All right. So your second question was about 
marriage. Marriage. Um, what? What? What would you? What advice would you give married couples? All right. So, three things: try to be each other's best friends. Not to say that you gotta get rid of your best friends, but yeah, like you're out of best friends. But there's there, there shouldn't be anything that your best friend knows that I don't know. You know, I I I, I need to know too. You know, if I, it pertains to if, you, yeah, if to it pertains partner. to me, yeah, yeah, in our marriage. So try to be each other best friends, become best friends. Cause that 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 help you help keep your business and your household. Sometimes you know we seek other people to, to tell business to, and, and they and they may have the the right intentions to to help you with it. But then some people might run off and it it, it explodes to something else. Blow it out of proportion. <laughs> and when it's blow out of proportion, it's rough. You know, like when people have mommy and daddy or uncles and sisters or in their business, you know, they they may not see it. They, they, they may see it as as more difficult than you see it. And that could cause a big rift and problems in your marriage. So if possible, keep everything out. Now, you could tell people what you want them to know. But if you keep it in house, keep it in house. My, my third one is that, you know, if you love this person that you're with, man, just just embrace them and love them um, the best way you can. Like, you know, I. I, I love this woman since 14 years old. I've been chasing her. Even when we was together, I was chasing her. Even when we're not together, like I'm I'm like Pepe Le Pew around her, you know, but uh, um, I, I embrace that she embraced me. So um, just have love in your marriage. Try to keep love in your marriage. Because once the flames go out, you know, every marriage, uh, every marriage is like a finger, but everyone has a different fingerprint. Oh. So what works for your marriage may not work for my marriage. You know, um, I can't get people um, counseling because, you know, I, I can say something to my wife that you can't say to your wife or vice versa. So don't take other people's problems and make it your problem in your household, you know. But just love each other. Have love and, um, you know, adore, uh, adore each other. And what was the last question? The last one was a combination of the two. So what advice would you give a married couple who want to start a business together? Hmm. Okay. So definitely what we talked about, which is figure out what your, your roles, what, what your strengths are each. And then how do you, you know, combine, have the synergy. So what we did was what we talked about was create that Venn diagram. And really we, we met other couples who are entrepreneurs together as well. And when we told them that they all said, that's, that's perfect. We didn't think about that, you know, and they all said, yeah, that's what we need to do. And so we share that with other um, couples that started business together that we know of. And, and they said, oh, wow, that's great. So I would definitely say, you know, just make it simple. Just draw two circles and where they intersect and see, you know, what are your strengths? What do you do well each? And then where do you intersect where you can work together? And then also, again, think about what we talked about, which is, um, you know, where do you need help? But also, again, remember why you're a couple, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And then also, it's good to turn off work at the end of the day, if you can, so that you can have that bit of separation between work life and married life, so that it doesn't, you know, create challenges and you try to separate them try to separate them as much as you can yeah, don't don't turn do not turn try not to turn your marriage into a business because of your business you're going to need that time where you separate the two uh and, and, and it may be hard for people but yeah you know you gotta work at it and yeah you know you for for like like for us we know i'm the head writer but in the middle of that section she cleans it up she knows she have to read every page and make sure that everything's fine with it. You know, so just because I'm the head writer, I still got to go with her to make sure that we, we get this product out. And then, you know, she's all IT, but then, you know, when she needs something marketing or I got to send her email, stuff like that, I'll do the same thing too. Yeah, so so, I think And I'm not even good at that, but <laughs> I, I, I know I'm part of that 10%. So I'm part of that 10% that I have to help her with. So, you know, we all have strengths and weaknesses and, when you help with it, that's what you do as a couple anyway. So just do yeah. it as a business. I think, yeah, it's just keeping that in mind that you're going to need support from each other, you know, business-wise and then also married-wise and just keeping um, that balance. Try to try not to take things personally either. <laughs> <laughs> when it, And that's hard. It's really hard. But you 
also have patience with yourselves because you're still learning as you go too. Mm -hmm. You two have been on a tremendous journey. It started when you guys were 14 and it's continued through 22 years of marriage. You guys have a company together. What has been the biggest joy in this journey that you two have taken together? Oh, to sit back and see us achieve something, man. Like, like saying to ourselves like, wow, we did this. Like, you know, like, wow, like, it, you got to embrace the all victories. There's no little victories. There's no little baby steps. So every victory that you have, you got, especially independent, you got to embrace it. Like, like we actually sit back like, wow. Like we look at our book covers like, wow, like we did this and we did this. It's crazy. You know, it, we, that's when you say to yourself, wow. Like a lot of times we go, we see stuff that we've been through last year and we go, wow, that had, that's crazy. But to sit back and be like, wow, we did this. Like a year before that, it was nothing. It, we wasn't even thinking about it. That's that's the that's the crazy part. I think the 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 best part about being an author and you get your book in your hand for the first time, that it's like it's like birthing a baby. Like you just, it's like oh my goodness, this is yeah. our baby. Like uh, really- <laughs> someone asked you for an autograph, and you know, and where I'm from is like wow, like. You want my autograph? Like it's crazy. So the, those 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 moments, so it just it, it's just joyful. We embrace it. It's yeah. just and it sounds it's still so surreal yeah. at yeah. times where people are asking for autographs and again when we just hold the books. Like each time we, you know, we get the first draft of the book or the the proof, we we still have that same reaction. Like oh yeah. my goodness, this this is our book right here yeah. in our hands. So, so that, that's, that's the joy to sit back and be like, wow, this, this is, this, this is something that we created, you know, and we could have created before a long time ago, who knows, but it wasn't our time to do it. You know, we just go along with the ride, keep going forward. But it's those wild moments of saying, wow, like we actually, we didn't even think about this a year ago. Now we just like our books and, you know, people reading it and you making great stories. It's, it's, it's crazy. That's that's the the biggest joy to be like wow like we actually did this and that we we that people are touched by it yeah. you know or they they yeah, actually write read it. Yeah. I think that's one but like even when Nikki Giovanni read our book that was wow yeah, she wrote yeah. a letter to us too yeah. like wow like wow she like, wrote someone us a read letter. our book yeah, and just, yeah it's crazy I loved your book you know yeah so that was really cool too that's amazing I want to thank you both for coming on I really appreciate it I had a great conversation with you too. Thank you. Uh, thank you. That's all I have for you for this episode. But before you go, I'd like to put a little spotlight on Melanin. Spotlight on Melanin is the part of the show where I like to spotlight a creator, influencer, artist, business owner, or activist of color. Today, I would like to spotlight Sledgehouse Media. Eddie and Christina already have three books available on Amazon with many more to come. You can also check out their short film by visiting their website at sledgehousemedia.com. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Sledgehouse Media. If you or someone you know would like the chance to be featured on Spotlight on Melanin, send us an email at spotlight at stilltalkingblack.com. Please include links to their social media and why you feel they should be spotlighted. So again, thank you everyone for listening. Still Talking Black is a Crown Culture Media LLC production. It is produced by me, Richard Dodds. Our theme music was created by the DJ Blue. Please make sure to rate and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting app. You can follow the show on Instagram at Still Talking Black, and you can follow my personal account at Dazism, and that's D-O-D-D-S-I-S-M. You can find out more about the show at stilltalkingblack.com, where you can find previous episodes, episode transcripts, and links to the shop. So again, thanks for listening, and until next time, keep talking. <laughs>